I forgot to mention during our prayers that we need to keep Cornelius, Eric's, Gail's dad in our prayers as well, who uh, tested positive for COVID-19. So continue to pray for Cornelius, Eric's. We have uh, two scripture passages this morning. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, that famous passage, been meaning to keep this before us as we consider where we're at in the Gospel of John, since there's many correlations. One in particular of Isaiah 53 that I want us to think of this morning is that statement that he was silent As a sheep before her shearers is silent, he did not open his mouth. So, hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Transgressors. That's Isaiah 53. Consider the words in there that speak of Christ's rejection by his own people. Um, and the words there that speak of Christ being uh, punished for our sins. His wounds are what healed us, his stripes. And I think also of Christ being described there as one who kept silent before his accusers. And read with me this morning, John chapter 18. John chapter 18, verse 38b through 19, verse 16a. Continuing the narrative, the Jews have brought Jesus before Pilate to accuse him. Pilate is trying to wiggle out from underneath what they're asking him to do, crucify him. 
And uh, Pilate has just had a conversation with Jesus. And he responded to that conversation with what is truth. John chapter 18, verse 38b. With this, that is Pilate, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him! Give us Barabbas! Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him in the face. Once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to him, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Kabatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. As for the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Bless the reading and preaching of your word this morning and give us a clear understanding of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us and why we are called to praise him. Help us to make a spirit-empowered choice to choose Christ over the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, many of you are probably familiar with a scene like this. It's a popular one in movies, you know. A bunch of kids gather at the park to shoot some hoops, play some basketball. And uh, what they do is they pick two team captains. You know, you're a captain, you're a captain. And the team captains, they separate from everyone else in the group, all the other boys, right? And they flip a coin or they do some sort of rock, paper, scissors competition to see who picks first, who gets to pick 
their team member first. And then whoever gets to pick first, you know, they look at the group and they say, I pick that person. And then the next captain, he goes, I pick that person. The next captain, I pick that person. You know, so, so this happens. Imagine this happens to you. And uh, you're not one of the team captains. You're in that group of people who are going to be picked one by one. And one by one, each one of the boys that are there with you or girls are, are picked. That one goes to that team. 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 And oh, it's that dreadful, dreaded scene. There you are, the last person. And you know what that means, right? I mean, everyone knows what that means. Nobody needs to be told what that means. It means you've been rejected. I mean, sure, you might get, you know, whoever the last person to pick is is going to have to take you on their team. But the reality is, is what they're saying is nobody wants you. You're the pipsqueak. You're the one that doesn't know how to dribble. You're the one that doesn't tie their shoes. You're the one that, that nobody wants you on the team. But imagine for a second what could possibly make that pain worse. And being picked last. I know what could make that pain worse for me. That one of the captains is my brother. One of the captains is my own flesh and blood. And he didn't pick me. He rejected me. Why do I share this story? Because today's passage in the book of John is the culmination of what John said in his prologue. John chapter 1, verse 11. He, that is Jesus, came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. This is the moment where Jesus realized where we realize that he was picked last. He wasn't even picked. He was rejected. But in the rejection of Christ, we find hope. And that's why the theme this morning is Christ is rejected by his own people so that we can be accepted as his own people. Christ is rejected by his own people so that we can be accepted as his own people. And the passage this morning gives us a number of choices, presents us with an opportunity to pick, right? It basically places us in that team captain position. And it asks us if we're going to pick Christ. Ultimately, the question still before us is, Christ or Caesar, right? But we're also going to look at how the people chose Barabbas over Jesus. They chose rejection over repentance. And ultimately they chose Caesar over Christ. In the rejection of Jesus, we see they chose Barabbas over Jesus. They chose rejection over repentance, and they chose Caesar 
over Christ. And that first point, Barabbas over Jesus, 1838b through 40, tells us about this. Pilate goes out to the Jews again. He says, I find no basis for a charge against him. Um, he thinks one way that he can get out of this is he pulls on the custom that they had at that time that pictures the Passover, right? The release of a prisoner, um, a prisoner who is not punished for his sins. And he gives them that opportunity. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? He's hoping they will grasp that opportunity to get out from underneath this situation that he's been placed in. And it's a popularity contest here being presented before us. And what did they, the Jews, shout back? No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. Interestingly enough, the uh, name Barabbas is often uh, said that his name is Jesus Barabbas. Jesus was a common name at this time. It stands from the Hebrew name Yeshua, which means Yahweh saves. Barabbas means son of the father. So the irony here is Jesus, son of the father, Barabbas, is set free. But Jesus, son of the father, son of God, is not. Why exactly do... The Jews want Barabbas. We're told here that he's taken part in a rebellion. And the other synoptic gospels, we hear that he was a murderer. And Barabbas, what we know of him, was a bit of a patriot. Um, he was a Jewish extremist, one who did not like the Roman rule. And who thought his fervency for the Jewish nation, his fervency for the ways of God, justified violence and riots, and murdering. And what the Jews are saying here is, we like him. He's the real patriot of our people. He's the real Jew. We'll take him. And there Jesus stands, a man of peace, a lover of the people of God, who wept over Jerusalem, cried out, Oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem. There is Jesus, lover of Israel, who said he came for the sheep. There is Jesus, lover of Israel, who looked at the corrupt and burdensome and legalistic and enslaved Jewish leaders and said, woe to you for what you've done to these people. What you don't understand is that godly men will always be rejected over those who are great in the eyes of the world. Have you ever heard it said that if, if Jesus were to come back, oh, then I would believe, then I would know that Jesus is the Savior. If Jesus came as he came in this moment, meek and mild, lowly, his glory veiled. If Jesus came, even as he appeared to his disciples, wounds in his hands and his feet and in his side, 
The world wouldn't want him. They want LeBron James, the king, King James. The world wouldn't want him. They want the celebrity, the one who's great in the eyes of the world. Even more scary is to think, would they take Donald Trump over Jesus? Fill in the name of anybody who captures the attention and the wonder of people in our day and age. And they will always win in the popularity contest. To the Jews, Barabbas was a patriot. And Jesus was an insignificant threat to their way of life and their preconceived ideas about God. How are we supposed to look at this? I want us to look at this in a few ways. I want us to think that in our sins, in our sinfulness, we are those saying, give us Barabbas. Give us him. And I want you to consider the ways in which your life continues to say, give us Barabbas. But in our justification, we are Barabbas being freed in the place of Christ. Barabbas doesn't deserve his freedom. Barabbas is the one who deserves to die on a cross. That is us. That's what we deserve. It's not what we were given. Christ took the punishment. And in our sanctification, we are called to be Jesus, dying to ourselves for the sake of others. Do you think Jesus was upset that Barabbas went free and he had to die a criminal's death? That's what he came to do. That is his claim to kingship. Not that in his might and his glory he battled armies and defeated foes. But that in his humility he died on the cross. So if you see yourselves, if we see ourselves in the Jews crying out for Barabbas, repent! When we see ourselves in Barabbas, We praise the Lord for such great salvation of sinners of whom we are the chief. We don't look at this picture and say, we're better than Barabbas. We are Barabbas. And when we see ourselves in Christ, we ask the Father to conform us to the image of his Son all the more that we may seek to live for his glory. We may seek to give up our own priorities and die to ourself, pick up our cross follow him. So in that moment, Christ's people chose Barabbas over him. What about rejection over repentance? The next seven verses. Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the face. Here at the beginning, Jesus is beaten and he's mocked. And Isaiah 53 says, 
By his wounds we are healed. There's redemption in his stripes. And if we understand the flogging, this is possibly not the, the whipping that happens in the other synoptic gospels, but we do know that Jesus was whipped. And at that time, the way that uh, the Roman soldiers would do that whipping was these whips that had pieces of glass or metal on the end of it. And they would shred the person's back so often that sometimes they would die before they could even make it to the cross. Sometimes the, 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 the whipping would be so gruesome that when they stood up, you could see their entrails through the back because the skin had been opened and punctured up and opened so much. I know it's gruesome, but it's the reality. And, and that's what Jesus received. And that is, is our punishment. I'll put on him for what we receive, what we, we, we deserve. And so we see in this, the soldiers twisting a crown of thorns, shoving it on Jesus' head, striking him in the face, being flogged. What we need to see is every wound he received, we rightfully deserved. That was supposed to be us. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. We considered him Punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. So how should we look at this moment? Our sin is in the soldiers, pushing that crown of thorns into his head. Our sin is in the soldiers, mocking him with hail, king of the Jews. Our sinners and the soldiers striking our Savior in the face. It's only in the salvation that Jesus has provided for us in his wounds that we can turn our hearts from the mockery of his kingship and proclaim in true faith and see in this moment the reality that what is going on here in the voice of the soldiers, although meant as mockery, is absolutely. Hail, King of the Jews. Hail, King of the Gentiles. Hail, King of the world. What about verses 4 through 7? Once more Pilate came out, said to the Jews, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. He's rejected here in this moment as king and as Son of God. The irony here is that Pilate presented Christ as king to mock him and belittle the case the Jews brought against him hoping that the Jews, seeing how foolish that Jesus looked, would shy away from, would turn away from asking for the death penalty. They would see that Jesus has been shamed, that he had been punished, that he had been beaten and flogged, punched in the face. Here he is in his purple robe. Here he is in his crown of thorns. Oh, he doesn't need death. He's been proved wrong. He's been punished enough. But in fact, what Pilate was doing was revealing the truth of who Christ was. Here he is beaten, and his crown and robe are meant to mock his claim to, to kingship. But on that future day, what they mocked here 
will be revealed in its fullest. Revelation 19 says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe, dripped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The irony is that as Pilate presents Jesus in his crown and purple robe and he says, here is the man. He's declaring the gospel. That not only is Christ Jesus the Son of God, he is also fully human. 1 Timothy chapter 2. There is one God and one mediator between God and mankind. The man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. So here's the choice we're presented with here in this moment. See him as king now. As he is here presented, beaten, flogged, bleeding, crown of thorns pressed upon him, weak, feeble. We see him as king now. What we receive is forgiveness of sins, eternal life. What we receive is grace. But see him as king in the end as he is presented, Revelation chapter 19. Well, what does it say? He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. All you'll receive is condemnation, eternal death, wrath. So which one will we choose? The Jews rejected the king. They did not repent. They did not bend the knee. Will we reject the king or repent and bend the knee? Finally, the choice comes to its ultimate culmination. The Jews choose, they reject Jesus by choosing Caesar over him. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid and he went back inside the palace Verse 8 and 9. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? And Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Here in this moment, we're presented with the truth that Proverbs says, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The revelation that Jesus claimed to be the Son of God seemed to strike some kind of fear into Pilate. And what we know from history is that Romans were very superstitious people. And one of the other Gospels, Pilate's wife encourages him not to mess with this man because she had a dream about him. The question is, would that fear be placed properly in God? What is fear of God? It's reverencing God. 
fear of God is realizing that above all, his word must have authority. His word is ultimate. His word is final. What he has said is final. And if anything in our lives does not take that into account, then we are not fearing God properly. And that's why Proverbs says, the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Because if you don't start with the right foundation, you can't build a house. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus gave this same warning. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Pilate, in this moment, if he fears God, he will not listen to the claims and the cries from the people saying, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate has already declared he finds no fault in him. There is no crime that this man has committed. He is not worthy of the death penalty. So here Pilate is being presented with the choice, will I fear God? Or will I fear man and give them what they want? And what Pilate doesn't understand is that he thinks the ultimate power lies with him. And Jesus shows him otherwise, saying his power was derived from God from above, that all authority comes from God. And this is true as well of governing authorities, civil magistrates. Pilate's responsible, but God is sovereign. And the greater guilt then in this scenario goes to those who have the greater knowledge. Luke 12, 48, Jesus said, To whom much is given, much shall be required. The Jews had the Old Testament books, the prophecies of Jesus, the coming Messiah, the anointed one. The Jews should have known. Remember the moment that Jesus had with Nicodemus in the middle of the night. Jesus said, Are you not a teacher of the people of Israel? And do you not know this? The guilt of the Jewish leaders is greater than the guilt of Pilate in this scenario. The question is now that Pilate is facing the truth of who Christ is, now that he is being told that Christ claimed to be the Son of God, that Christ is a king, a kingdom that is not of this world, now that he knows the true crime is that of blasphemy, see, finally it came out, blasphemy, claiming to be the Son of God, will Pilate fear God above all? In the face of evil, will he play the popularity contest? Or will he do what is right? Will we fear God above all else? Will we say that God's revelation is the ultimate authority in our lives, even when it makes us unpopular? Even when it makes us out of step with modernity? even when it makes us look foolish in the eyes of the world, even when our friends and even our families say, oh, come on, you can't really believe that. I want you to consider these words from Proverbs 15, 33 through 16, 3. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom. And humility comes before honor. 
The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Therefore, commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Every decision that is brought before us calls us to consider these things. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand. I know that Pilate is sovereignly being used by God to bring about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But if Pilate does not repent for fearing man over God, if Pilate did not repent for fearing man over God, then Pilate is in hell right now. And Pilate is not a forgiven man. Because he did not fear the Lord. 12 through 15. From then on, Pilate said, tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gavatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away, take him away. Crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar. The chief priests answered. The fear of man is the beginning of destruction. The fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of man is the beginning of destruction. Pilate caves to the fear of man and sentences an innocent man to death simply to appease the Jews. And we see a couple of veiled threats from the Jews in this culmination of this interaction. First of all, they say, if you set this man free, you're no friend of Caesar. Uh, it's not, we're not sure if this was a common terminology, political terminology at this time. But it could have been at the time of John's writing that the title, friend of Caesar, was one that was given to people who affiliated and were alongside of and pushed forward the political agenda of the Roman emperor. And so the, the threat from the Jews saying, if you let this man free, you're no friend of Caesar, is basically say, saying, hey, we'll tell on you. We'll tell on you if you don't give us what, what we want. If you look at history, they've done this before. Jews have done this before. They've told on on uh, rulers and magistrates that they didn't like, trying to get them replaced or turned over. So in this case, the way that Pilate caves to the fear of man is vox populi, vox dei. It's a Latin phrase meaning the voice of the people is the voice of God. And I want you to, I want you to hear this. I want you to understand this. That when the voice of the people is the voice of God... It's called tyranny. There is no justice. There is no law. There is no order. There is no reason. There is no truth. You don't want a nation where the voice of the people is the voice of God. 
When that happened in Israel, an innocent man, the only innocent man to have ever lived, was crucified. And their second declaration, shall I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar. Excuse me. In their adamancy that Jesus die, that Jesus be killed, that Jesus be crucified, in their fervency for this desire, they in this moment even deny the kingship of Yahweh over them. In this statement, the Jews professed their loyalty to the emperor of the world and rejected the Lord of glory. This is spiritual blindness at its finest. Now, this is what I want us to think. We may not say these exact words. We may not say, we have no king but Caesar. But how do our choices, the way we spend our time, the hidden sins in our lives that we have not brought forward before God and before those whom we sinned against. Proclaim that we are choosing Christ over the ways of this world or not. You see, every choice presents us with the opportunity to declare either that Christ is Lord over our lives or we are our own lords. We can say either we have no king but Christ or we have no king but Caesar. What I want us to consider is how do we continue to choose Caesar, that is, the ways of this world, the world, the flesh, the devil, over Christ in our lives. And I'm not saying we do that so that we can then be condemned and feel guilty and ashamed, but we do that so that we can bring it to our Lord, lay it at his feet, and ask for him to grow us in Jesus Christ. The last part of our passage tonight, finally Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. A corrupt church and a pagan state both chose the way of the world. Both did what only benefited them temporarily. But in so doing, they unwittingly sped Christ toward his destiny as the Savior of the world and his place at the right hand of God. The nature of sin is to dethrone the Lord and enthrone self. So the Jews and Pilate are only representatives of our sin that crucified Christ. We can only be Christ in this story if we see first ourselves as the Jewish leaders crying out, crucify him, crucify him, take him away, we don't want him. We can only be Christ in this story if we first see ourselves as the soldiers who mocked and beat him. And we can only be Christ in this story if we first see ourselves as Pilate who feared man above God who did only what was expedient to himself and what placed him in a position 
a favor and was unwilling to sacrifice. Here is Christ being delivered over to his destined death. And we must follow him there as sinners in need of cleansing. Here is Christ becoming sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Shall I crucify your king? The answer from sinful man is we have no king but Caesar. The answer from heaven is what Isaiah 53 says. It pleased the Father to crush him. Because in the humiliation of Christ, there is exaltation. In his death, there is life. And so is the pattern of the Christian life. We should not be surprised if in this world we're picked last. But we should be reminded that we are no longer of this world and that Christ, Christ was rejected by his own people so that we could be accepted as his own people. So when we're not picked in the world, it's because we don't belong to the world. We have another family, a new family. In the rejection of Christ, we find hope. In the rejection of Christ, we have been accepted into the family of God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the sacrifice of your son. We thank you for your love. Help us to put away sin, to be renewed by your spirit, to be conformed to the image of your son, transformed that we may have the mind of Christ. Put away the old self so we can be living sacrifices for you. To face suffering in this world as those who know that humility comes before honor. And that we can stand firm on what we've been promised. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In closing, sing.